Well, good morning to those in the room, good morning to those online, and good whatever time of the day it is for those watching on Catch Up. Today is the second in our series regarding core training. You've just seen the video clip regarding physical core training. And um, it's all around the, the muscles in the, in the middle part of your body, around your stomach and your lower back. And you can tell from myself that I haven't spent a great deal of time worrying about this particular aspect of my training. And it made me think that if I haven't spent a great deal of time worrying about my physical core training, just how much time have I spent on my spiritual core training? And I wonder you might be thinking the same. So here is a series, and there's five in the series, where we get to look at some of the basics in our spiritual life that may help us in our core faith. Last week we looked at radical hospitality, not just good hospitality where we make our friends welcome, but radical hospitality as demonstrated by Jesus. We make all welcome. And if you didn't see it, um, you can catch it up on the HBC um, YouTube channel and I would recommend that you do it. And as Martin said, one of the Practical things, if you don't think that hospitality is really your thing, why don't you put your name on one of those lists? And it's the case with all physical training. It's easy to talk about, but often it takes that first step of going to the gym or going for a run or going for a walk, whatever you're going to do. And the same thing happens with our spiritual core training. It's easy for us to sit here and talk about it and go, yeah, I ought to do something. But sometimes taking that first step is that a little bit more difficult. So why not, and it's not a difficult thing perhaps, go to somebody who may you don't know that well and go and have a meal with them and just start on your journey of radical hospitality. And this week our core activity is passionate worship. But before we talk about passionate worship, we probably ought to decide what is worship. And... Um, I'm going to give you 90 seconds to talk to the person next to you. If you don't want to, just fold your arms and look miserable. It's not a problem. You don't have to. But if you're willing to, look to the person next to you or behind you and tell them what you think, or even better, if you get in first, you can ask them what they think. What is worship? And if you're watching online, you might like to tap it into the chat box. What do you think is worship? You've got 90 seconds. Speak to the person next to you. Come up with a definition of... I'm not going to ask you. You're all right. So I'm not, going to, I'm not going to point at you and say, what did you come up with? So just speak to the person next to you. What is worship? Go. Right, you've got 10 seconds left. And stop. Very good. Well, almost very good, except for the ex-minister who's just going through the theology of it, Phil. Right, so, so worship, there's probably in the room, 
those watching online, probably 150 of us um, um, had that discussion, and there's every chance we've probably come up with 149 different answers. We're about to look at a chap called Isaiah, who lived um, about 700 years before Jesus. He was a prophet, and he foretold, so he said what was going to happen, but largely he foretold, he told people of, people of the day what God wanted them to hear. And we read in the book of Isaiah, in chapter 43, there's two places. One place it says, we are created for his glory, and another place it says that we are formed that we may declare God's praise. Or to put it another way, we are made to worship. And therefore it probably is quite important we know what it is. And you see, we use the word in different ways. Sometimes we say, now we're going to have a time of worship. And what we mean is, now we're going to sing. Some people will say, yes, but it also includes Bible reading and prayer. And some people say it even includes the sermon. I'll let you decide this morning whether that is the case. People talk about whole life worship, real worship, pure worship, authentic worship, extravagant worship, and my favourite, true worship. People talk of worship mindsets, worship lifestyles, and today we've given the sermon the title, Passionate Worship. So what is worship? Well, actually, you're going to be disappointed because I'm not going to define it either. But three things that perhaps I have come across which I quite like. You will find better phrases that you prefer, and um, I'm not a theologian, and um, you may be more correct than me. But one, of, one I heard was, all of me responding to all of God. A second one, giving to God what is already his. And perhaps my favourite, that which moves us closer to Jesus. And we're going to look at that um, chap, um, Isaiah, that prophet, 700 years ago. And um, in, in, in Isaiah chapter 6, we, um, we read of Isaiah's vision of God. And it's a vision of worship. And I think from today, we can learn a little bit more about what worship is, and particularly what is passionate worship, from this passage in Isaiah. And the Sanders family um, have been very good, because um, the, the boys have um, had their arms twisted and have read, um, have read this passage for us. So, Sue, can we now have the first part of Isaiah chapter 6? It's the first four verses. In the year that King Uzziah died, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings, with two wings they covered their faces, with two wings they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, the whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, and the doorstops and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Vision of worship is at the very centre of it is God. And God is seated on a throne, or to put it another way, Jesus is king. And we want, to be a, we want to be a church where Jesus is king. And we want our lives to be a place where Jesus is king. And the second thing we read is that his train fills the temple. 
in my um, preparation, I came across two reasons what that might mean. One is um, a king, the, the train, a bit like a bribe thing, you know, the, the big long thing that comes off your coat. That if you had a very long train, it was difficult for you to go to move and to work. And the longer the train, it improved at just how more important the king was, because he could move less and less. He had people to do things. So if you're an important king, you had this very long, expensive piece of material. And the other thing I've read is that um, the train in those days, that if a king defeated another king, one of the things he would do would be chop off part of the other king's train and attach it to his train. And, and it, so the more, de- more kings you defeated, the longer and longer your train became. And whichever, or you take both analogies or both, um, um, it works the same way. We read of this train that fills the temple. Now, the temple was a big place. It must have gone for miles and miles and miles. It is saying that not it's just Jesus king, but he is king of kings. And in our worship, do we even begin to appreciate the true character of God, his majesty, his omnipotence? I recently read the sentence and was challenged. Those who worship little understand little. Because once we understand God's character and experience God's goodness, then worship becomes the automatic response. So we've got this vision. We've got God in his throne. He's king. Uh, We've got his train. Um, He's the king of kings. We read of six-winged angels, angels with six wings. And um, these these heavenly creatures, with two of them, they're covering their eyes because they cannot look at God's radiance. With two of them, they're covering their feet because that's the humble area of their body. And with two, they are flying. And what are they doing? They're declaring God's greatness. Holy, holy, holy. Then we read the sound of their voice. The doorposts begin to shake. The earth literally is beginning to move. And the place is filled with smoke. I don't know whether you've had a vision like that. Um, Maybe some of us have. I'm guessing probably a lot of us haven't. But in that vision we read that God is, it's all about God. God is the subject of it all. And we sing a number of songs these days, don't we, that have the word I in it. So I will worship with all of my heart. Um, Here I stand in the presence of the Nazarene, etc, etc, etc. And there's nothing wrong with that, because actually if you read the Psalms, um, the psalmist often includes himself. But we need to remember that the songs are not about I, they're about God. We just sung that great song, um, I come back to the heart of worship, it's all about you, Jesus. So that's the first thing we learn, that it's all about God. God is the centric, is, is God-centric, um, our worship. And the second thing I'd like to quickly point out, that worship is not a spectator sport. And we learn from Isaiah, as we read on this passage, that he doesn't um, just watch it. It, it, it transforms him, it affects it. Another thing I'd like to quickly throw in is that um, worship is not a competitive sport. We don't worship better than the next person, or we think the other person is worshipping better than us. We just worship differently. Some of us dance, not me. Some of us wave our hands. Some of us sit with our arms folded. It doesn't make us a better or a worse worshipper. We used to sing that song um, with the kids, Um, Man looks on the outside, but God looks at the heart. So is this passionate worship? We've got um, God, we've got his train, we've got angels, we've got smoke, we've got the earth moving. Surely this 
is passionate worship. Well, I would say, no, it's not. Let's read our next little bit. Um, so. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hands, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Thank you. So not only does Isaiah have a vision of God, but he also has a vision of himself, and he understands that he is a sinful man, a man who does wrong. And Isaiah may have been a very righteous and godly man by all outward appearances, yet when he sees God enthroned in his temple, he realises just how far short of God's glory he comes. And we might think we live pretty good lives. We come to church, maybe we give to charity, we might look after our neighbour. But when we start to truly, when we start to really, when we start to extravagantly, when we start to passionately worship God, then we cannot help but understand some of our failings. And the good news is in the middle of that passage that the angel the, the, um, picked up the coal and um, we, we have the, the lip incident. Um, fortunately for us, we have a resurrected, Jesus, a resurrected Jesus, we have the Easter story, Jesus dying and resurrecting and taking away our sins, our wrongdoings, so that God can look, us, look at us as innocent people. So is this passionate worship? Is it having that vision of God, putting God in the centre of everything? And then it transforms us, it changes. We are convicted of our wrongdoing and we are cleansed of our guilt. Well, no, in that passage of Isaiah, there is a third little bit to the story. Let's have, um, I think it's Owen, reading the last verse for us soon. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. See, for me, passionate worship comes in three parts. It is that meeting with God, be it through song, through prayer, through reading our Bible, through enjoying creation. It may be on our own, it may be with other people. And then there's that second part where we have a vision of ourselves. We confess and we have that understanding of freedom in Christ. It's a vision of who we are. And then there's a third part of it for me. There is a vision of service. Isaiah's immediate reaction after this amazing vision of God in his temple with his train with the angels isn't, wasn't that amazing, I need to go and lie down and wait for next week's worship meeting. No, he says, here am I, send me. I mean, if you read on that passage in Isaiah chapter 6, um, um, God says, I've got a difficult message to go and give to a difficult people at a difficult time. King Uzziah, if you remember the very first thing, it was in the year that King Uzziah died. King Uzziah basically was a really good king. He came to an unfortunate end, which was tragic, but it had been a good time, and now he had died. And I guess for Isaiah, it would have been a time of uncertainty. 
But he says, let's not wait for the worship meeting. Here am I, send me. And this is, this is passionate worship. We don't settle for the status quo. We don't just sing great songs with great singers, with great PA, with great AV, with a great band. And we don't say, this is nice, it suits me. But we focus on what it can be rather than what it is. We are transformed, we are changed, we are moved, and we are led into service. Not because of what we think we can do, but because we've just met with God. There's that scene in the Gospels in Mark um, where um, one of the teachers of the law came to Jesus and he said to him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? And Jesus replied, hear this, O Israel, and hear this, Holy Baptist Church. Um, that's not in the Bible. Um, the Lord is one, love, and I think you could change that word love to worship. Worship the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. There are four things there that we are to worship God with if we are to be passionate in our worship. Our heart, if you go into Clinton's in February, you think that your heart is all to do with emotion, but to the person that wrote this passage, and actually if we think about it ourselves, the heart is to do with our will. We say we set our heart on something. It's an expression about our will or desire. It's our heart's desire is something that we want. So it's to do with our hill. So we worship with the choices we make. Our mind, I think Jesus here is talking about your brain. We don't switch our brain off when we come to worship God. So we worship with our heart, with the choices we make. We worship with our mind, the way we think. We worship with our soul. And this probably is more to do with our character, our thoughts and our feelings. So we worship with the choices we make, we worship with what we think, we worship with the way we feel. And lastly, we worship with our strength, which is to do with the physicality of things. It's what we actually do. Is our worship covering all those things? One of my favourite passages in the Bible is Micah chapter 6, verse 2, and... Um, and most people in the church, or a lot of people in the church, will know I am not a singer. I am absolutely tone deaf. Um, and therefore, I love this passage because it says, in your worship, it doesn't talk about singing at all, it says, what, should we, what does the Lord require of you to act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God? And that should be our worship. And there's one last verse. If you've forgotten everything I've said, just go back and look at Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And it says... Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, what have we got to do? Offer your bodies, every part of your body, to be a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So, physical core training, as I said earlier on, is not easy. Um, to get our right muscles working so the rest of our body works well, easy to talk about, difficult to do. And funnily enough, our spiritual core training is exactly the same. But let's go out of here. Let's go and start to um, give radical hospitality. Let us start to worship passionately. Something that leads us somewhere. Something that transforms us. Something that leads us to serving God as we use our heart, mind, soul and strength in our worship. Amen.
What do you understand by the word worship? How easy do you find it to worship God? Does your worship involve the use of your heart, mind, soul and strength? How does your worship of God lead you into action?